Welcome to the Dr. Mudgill Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here with me. So this is uh, a new year, and uh, this is going to be a new paradigm that we have for the podcast. We're still going to do interviews. I'm still going to be interviewing inspiring folks and hearing compelling stories that inspire us all. But, you know, this past year or so, we've been doing a Thoughts of the Week segment. We've also been doing an Ask Dr. Mudgill series. And, you know, all of those posts I love doing. Um, but I realized when I record those posts that, Sometimes there's so much more that I'd like to say about a particular issue. And, um, you know, it's just tough to do that in like an Instagram post or, you know, uh, a very, very short post, which is only a few minutes long. So it actually occurred to me that um, I have another platform to post longer format stuff and, you know, kind of really dive deep into an issue. And that, of course, is the Dr. Michael podcast. So we're in the second week of 2023. Um, this is episode number 60 of the Dr. Budgill podcast, which is very exciting. It's a, it's a exciting milestone for us. And this is going to be essentially like a long thoughts of the week. So as I'm sure many of you are aware, particularly many of you folks who live in the New York City area, um, the nurses at Mount Sinai Medical Center and at Montefiore Medical Center uh, here in New York City went on strike. And... They went on strike because they were basically getting effed by the hospital. You know, they were working incredibly long hours. Uh, they were underpaid. You know, nursing is probably the single most important job in a hospital. I remember when I was an intern like 20, gosh, 21 years ago. Uh, the nurses, especially for us young doctors that were just fresh out of medical school, were an incredible resource for us all. And, you know, they were a wealth of knowledge. They provided amazing care for the patients. And, you know, just as a for instance, when I was in the ICU, in the medical ICU, there was one nurse for every patient because those patients were so sick. There was a nurse for 12 hours a day that knew them inside out. And then there would there'd be another nurse that came on for the overnight shift, another 12-hour shift. Um, so it was basically two people taking care of this very, very sick patient. And that really optimized the outcome for these patients. But now, you know, nurses are short-staffed. You know, COVID was just a nightmare for nurses. And, you know, a lot of nurses and doctors left the field of medicine. And now instead of taking care of one ICU patient, nurses were taking care of two ICU patients, maybe four ICU patients on a regular floor instead of taking care of maybe two or four patients who, you know, are sick but not ICU sick. Nurses were taking care of eight patients, working a crazy minor hours, getting underpaid. And, you know, quite frankly... They were fed up with it, and they went on strike. Unfortunately, I think it was today, or maybe I think it was today, that they resolved their issues, and you know they had uh, their union had uh, a successful negotiation with the hospitals, and and they're back. But this actually, you know, what happened this week is sort of in the context of a lot of the stuff I've been talking about. And you know, folks will send me stuff, uh, you know, they'll DM me or text me, you know, just information or or tweets or. Stuff related to just how effed up healthcare is. Like, as a for instance, someone sent me a tweet by this guy, Robert Ubre. I don't know who that is, who Robert Ubre is, but he's a doctor. And basically, he tweeted, and we'll show you the tweet in the podcast, but he basically said three points United Healthcare will profit about $22.3 billion this year, which is crazy. United Healthcare is a health insurance provider, as you know, and one that I don't love. 50% of hospitals will lose money this year. 47% of U.S. health workers plan to leave within the next three years. That's a huge number. Half of the healthcare force is going to leave in the next three years. 
That is the current state of U.S. healthcare, and it should terrify everyone. Well, it should terrify everyone. Um, so it really got me thinking about, and this is sort of my long thoughts of the week, got me thinking about of about healthcare and about health, how healthcare is structured here in the U.S. and how there are so many problems with healthcare. And when when you think about it, there are basically four big parts to the healthcare system. There are the health insurance companies, companies like United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, who are the absolute worst companies. Their only motivation is making profit, and I'll get into more of that in a minute. Um, there's big pharma, you know, so the medications that make the pharma, the uh, pharmaceutical companies that make medications, vaccines, etc. And of course, their primary motivation is maximizing profits. You know, price gouging even for like generic medications. Uh, I've seen the cost of medications for some of my patients that were, you know, I'm talking about generic medications that were like 10 bucks last year or like 200 bucks this year. Who makes these prices? I have no idea, but uh, the pharmaceutical industry is definitely benefiting from that. And then there's hospital systems. So, you know, huge hospital systems that are gobbling up smaller hospitals and smaller practices. You know, I see that even with the big university hospitals in New York City, like Mount Sinai is expanding, NYU is expanding, Northwell Health is expanding. Um, there are also some private hospital systems throughout the country that are expanding. And then the fourth part are patients and their providers. So that I'm talking about, you know, patients who see a doctor or other healthcare providers, nurse practitioners, PAs, pharmacists. So that's 25% or of this four-armed beast. And what ends up happening is the for-profit arms, so there's three of those, health insurance companies, hospital systems, and pharmaceutical companies are all for profit. And they basically are all trying to get a bigger piece of the pie when it comes to healthcare dollars. So health insurance companies, we have talked about many times, F their patients and their providers. We basically all put our money, paying our premiums into this pot. As I mentioned before, I pay nearly $4,000 a month for healthcare coverage for my family. I have a high deductible plan despite doing that, and you know many of us out there do. And the way health insurance companies make their money is by holding on to that pool of, you know, funds that we're pouring into the pot. And the way they do that is by denying patients benefits. So, um, you know, denying an MRI or denying some specialized test a patient may need or denying a service they may need, like physical therapy. And they do that by denying payments to doctors. So the more of those dollars that they can hold on to, you know, they invest those dollars into whatever the hell they invest in to make money. And United Healthcare was so good at it last year that it made $22.3 billion, which is a staggering figure. So they're clearly, you know, self-motivated and could, don't give a rat's ass about patients or the doctors that take care of them. Then there's the pharmaceutical companies, and you know their obviously primary motivation is making as much money as possible. So you know some of these medications, some of the fancy medications that come out, can cost like tens of thousands of dollars a year for patients. And you know the way these and listen, we need pharmaceutical companies to develop the amazing medications that they do, the amazing innovations, uh, you know, in treating cancer and diabetes and you know all sorts of medical problems. But their research is funded almost 99% of the time by government grants. So we pay taxes. Those taxpayer dollars are allocated to a pharmaceutical company to research such and such disease and develop such and such medicine. And then once that medicine is developed, 
they basically make an enormous profit by charging like a gazillion dollars for the medication. Um, and moreover, like, I don't know how many Ozempic per commercials you've seen, but I seem to see an Ozempic commercial. You know, my, my son, who's 11, sings the Ozempic song. He, you know, we see those commercials like, nonstop. Um, I remember particularly like, during the pandemic, we were watching CNN, and the scene, it was basically on all the time. And, you know, my son would just like, walk around the house singing, you know, oh, Ozempic, you know, the, the, the Ozempic song all day long. And every other commercial I realized was for a pharmaceutical company, so it was for was some new medication that came out for you know whatever company it may be, and it made me realize that there's very say there was something that went wrong with one of these medicines, or just say like you know there was a story about how crazy prices are for these medications. There's no incentive for our media to talk about it because their biggest advertisers, you know the 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 people that are pouring the most money and keeping their channels their the newspapers etc keeping them viable are these pharmaceutical companies you know they're in the pockets of our legislators they're in the pockets of our media sources so there's very little incentive for folks in power or folks with influence to speak out against them so that's a big problem then hospital-based systems are another huge problem so there's several key issues here with hospitals so one is and there's an article in new york times which we'll show you which is actually a pretty good article it came out last month it basically talks about how a sprawling hospital chain ignited its own staffing crisis during covid and what happens is when, when as hospitals expand especially private hospital systems their primary goal of course is also to maximize their profits and the way they do that is by cutting down on staff right so staff is cut down nurses are fired um, many doctors are replaced with like PAs or nurse practitioners to reduce costs. Um, and really what happened, and this was really highlighted during COVID, where, you know, say like hospital systems that were bought in like 2017, 2018, they fired a whole bunch of people to maximize profits. They didn't expect a lot of people to be sick. And then the pandemic hit and they were short staffed. They didn't have enough nurses. They didn't have enough doctors. They didn't have enough, you know, other ancillary staff or other folks that are involved in treating patients to care for them. And it was a shitstorm. And you know, basically, these hospital systems created this perfect storm for failing during during the pandemic. So that's one issue with hospital systems. The the second issue is hospitals hospital administrative staff is has become so bloated in fact and there's another article which we'll share with you for every one doctor that's out there there are 10 administrative staff members so that's crazy there are 10 times as many administrative staff members as there are doctors in a hospital that makes absolutely no sense it's an incredible waste of resources those administrators have they, they had play no role in, in the actual administration of care for patients. Their only goal is to somehow work to maximize profits of hospitals, whether it's dealing with billing issues or cutting down staff or, you know, dealing with negotiating supplies. Um, in fact, for every one doctor, there are actually 16 other members of the healthcare team that are involved in, you know, in the function or of the hospital and 
Only six of those folks are actually involved in patient care. So phlebotomists, nurses, medical assistants, pharmacists, etc. The other 10 of those 16 are administrators. I mean, it's just a, it's a huge suck on the resources of a hospital. That's why, you know, when I refer back to that tweet, that's why 50% of hospitals will lose money this year. Um, and, you know, all of this happens. And, and the third point is actually, you know, in these hospital chains, these you know, massive hospital systems um, who, like I said, acquire multiple community hospitals and they'll acquire small practices, their whole goal is to maximize profits. And one of the ways they do that is they replace MDs with nurse practitioners and PAs. And this is something I actually spoke about in a post. It was actually somewhat of a controversial post where I said, where I said, I think the title of the post was PAs and MPs are not MDs. And you know, I got some pushback from it from like nurses and, and physicians assistants. But the truth is I stand by that statement because, you know, if, Say you're a PA or a nurse practitioner and you get really, really sick or your mom gets really, really sick or your sibling gets really, really sick or your spouse gets really, really sick. Who are you going to seek to help them? Are you going to seek the best nurse practitioner or PA? Or are you going to try to find the best doctor who has the training to help your family member in need? And, you know, it's it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but, you know, I think we all know. What the answer is there, but the problem with the way healthcare is going now is the smartest kids in college, you know, who some of whom would want to go on to become doctors, are very frequently making the choice not to because they see the writing on the wall. They see how nefarious health insurance companies are. They see how horrible it is working for a hospital-based system whose goal is just literally to maximize profits. Um, to see how horrible the pharmaceutical industry is. And all of this is at the expense of really what's the heart of healthcare. That's the, the patient-doctor relationship or the healthcare provider-patient relationship. And the people that suffer from all of this, from all of this you know, bloating in the hospitals and price gouging from pharmaceutical companies and just, you know, I mean, God, I can list 20 things that health insurance companies do that are not that are to the detriment of, of patients and doctors. But you know, that's who suffers. You know, I think, and I've said this many times in many of my posts, the folks that are gonna make change and the folks that are gonna make a difference are us, you know, patients, doctors. We all need to be as vocal as possible to, you know, stop this shitstorm of what's going on in healthcare. You know, if, if we don't speak up, and, and really, you know, patients are very vocal, and I think patients need to be more vocal, but doctors really need to be a lot more vocal uh, because, you know, all of us need to work together, really, to enact change. So that's what's been on my mind this week. Uh, healthcare is in shambles, and really, it's up to the end users, us, doctors and patients, to be as vocal as possible so we can enact, enact some change. So with that, I'm going to close out this podcast. Let's get it. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.